I'll start by saying that we are by default as humans life preservers. And I would say that we as a society, I don't know if y'all have seen this, um, but apart from anything spiritual, I think that we think as a society that preserving our own life is of utmost importance. It's the most important thing. How can I live as long as I can? What are some ways that you all see that in society? Not necessarily. I'm trying to look young forever. Okay, yeah. So much money Just even the appearance. Problems. Yeah. Plastic surgeries mm-hmm. of the wazoo. And <laughs> uh, what else? Yeah, the other ways that you see people people trying to preserve just their life, their own life, as long as it can go. I forget what it's called. Is it like cryogenics? Like when they like freeze themselves yeah. in the hopes that like when science catches up, they can like live again. Right. Yeah. Or basic medication. Yeah, even just the advancement of medicine. We we need to find a cure for this, and we need to stop this disease from progressing. Yeah, that's people worried about personal safety in regards to like terrorism and uh, just guns and violence, and uh, give up a lot of freedom just to be safe or to feel safe. Yeah. 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 Can I protect myself and have a good enough security system in my house? Insurance. We have all sorts of insurance now, um, including different kinds of medical insurance. But that's like, oh, I want to ensure I can go just another day. And I'm not saying these things are, are wrong, but these are just efforts that we have to try to make our lives last a little bit longer. Some of those things are, are for the sake of other people. I'd say it's good-hearted that we and we develop medicine to help somebody, hopefully, and not just make money. Um, so we're going to talk tonight about life and death like we often do. Um, and I think Jesus clearly teaches that preserving your life, like, like this life as it is at all costs, is not the goal. That even getting the most out of this life from a um, non-spiritual standpoint is, is not the goal. Um, so we'll look here, and if you remember, I think we've said this a little bit a couple of different times, but like we're used to this story, especially if you grew up in the church and you kind of are familiar with, um, you've read the Gospels or you've celebrated Easter and the events surrounding what we celebrate in, at Easter. Um, we're familiar with, a lot of us, the story of, of Jesus and his life. So we're not going to be surprised come chapters 26, 27, 28, like when Jesus dies, when he resurrects. Like, this is not new information. Um, but to the disciples that Jesus is speaking to in this passage, that wasn't so much on their radar. Like, he's, he's alluded a couple times earlier on in his teaching to some things like the sign of Jonah, if you remember... And the um, uh, when he says uh, he said at one other time, take up your cross and follow me, that sort of thing. So there's been some allusions, but here um, it, it it Jesus starts to speak a little bit more plainly. So it's still unfolding the information. There's revelation of who Jesus is as the Messiah, which is which Peter has just recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He says that out loud. And, but they're, they're still not kind of certain what that picture looks like. So the first uh, few verses, chapter 16, verse 21, say this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So this is the point um, the gospel writer Mark, in chapter 832, he says that this is when Jesus kind of starts to talk to them plainly. 
Like this is when he's really starting to reveal uh, not just his messiahship, but also what he's going to now accomplish as the messiah uh, in his death. And if you kind of like catch the flow of where the where this gospel story has been going, like Jesus is is telling people, Matthew is telling people all the way from the beginning of the book, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one to Israel, been promised for hundreds of years. He's shown his power, his mighty power over sickness and disease and um, demons and the um, uh, natural wind and seas and even raised somebody from the dead. He's shown his power. He's just confirmed like to Peter, yes, you're, this confession of me as Messiah, as the Son of God, I'm going to build my church and I'm, and the gates of hell won't prevail. Like Jesus is like this, they're seeing, it's, it's this bigger, bigger, clearer picture of Jesus as Messiah, as all-powerful Son of God. And then in verse 21, he starts to talk about how he's going to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders. He's going to die, and he's going to raise from the dead. And Mark, again, he talks about how they didn't, even walking away from this situation, they didn't quite understand what he meant even raised from the dead. Like, what's, what's he exactly talking about there? So it would be really hard to grasp for these disciples that Jesus, the rightful Messiah, who has the right to reign and rule, his, his ministry now is going to be one of suffering and death. That would be, like, that's way more difficult for these guys to grasp maybe than for us who are familiar with how the story unfolds. It's, it's still unfolding for them. So you can understand Peter's response as it's a reasonable response. And basically he says, to use a little more modern uh, terminology, like God forbid that happen. Or maybe that's not even so current, God forbid. May this, God would never allow such a thing in his, in his mercy and his grace to, to happen to you. God forbid this happen and we're just talking about the, the tendency in our own lives, right, to preserve our lives. And this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. This is the most important to ever live. So, of course, Peter's like, well, God would never allow you to suffer and to die. That doesn't make any sense in Peter. Like, if, if we're going to preserve anybody's life, why wouldn't we preserve the most important person who's ever lived? And so, anyway, it's an understandable response, I think, from Peter. Like, we... Poor Peter gets screamed now. So there's strong language from Peter, Lord may never be, followed by stronger language from Jesus. And Jesus gives Peter the same command that the last time, at least in Matthew, that Jesus uses this command of, of basically get, get away, get out of my way, um, was to Satan himself uh, in the temptations and in the, you know, in the wilderness when Jesus was being tempted shortly before going into ministry. That's when Satan said uh, to Jesus in Matthew 4, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone. That's the same like word, or one of the same words that he uses for Peter. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So, it's a very similar thing. I don't know if you can catch it, but what, what Satan is suggesting to Jesus back then and what Peter is, Satan is offering Jesus, to some extent, this glorious kingship without suffering. And that wasn't, obviously, God's plan for Christ. And Peter is kind of suggesting something similar. So you could see why Jesus refers to to Peter as Satan. Like, this is a significant thing. It's exactly, it, it's 100% wrong from what I'm actually, what Jesus is actually going to accomplish. That his death and resurrection are a key, the key part of his time here on, on earth, this first time of his. So, it's kind of interesting, within the first few verses, Peter's like really strongly, or a few verses ago, Peter's really strongly commended. It's like, yes, Peter, you're correct. Um, you got it right when you said I'm Messiah, Son of the Living God, and then literally just a few verses later, and uh, about the same time it seems, uh, 
Peter is getting strongly rebuked. So it's, he goes from, blessed are you, remember Simon and Bar-Jonah, um, you're the rock I'm going to build the church on to get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance and a stumbling block to me, to the mission. So it, I think there may even be like kind of a play on words a little bit. You're, he goes from commending Peter, you're this formational rock that the church uh, will be built on and then he goes to when Peter's misunderstanding him, you're going to be a stumbling block to the mission of Christ. And one thing I asked a couple weeks ago that I think is um, really important is this critical question that we have to ask ourselves. Who do you say Jesus is? Let's remember what he kind of asked the disciples to get Peter's response a few verses earlier. And the proper recognition of Jesus, when we answer that correctly, maybe the maybe a response from Jesus would be, blessed are you, the Father has given you this understanding, like he tells Peter. But an improper recognition of Jesus is, that's why he goes on to say, you're setting your mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. And so your answer to, to that question of who Jesus is, it's like, we've got to get that right. There's a, when, you, when you miss it, there's a drastic difference between, oh, yes, you're correct in what you understand about Jesus, or you're not correct in what you understand about him. And Jesus is giving Peter more revelation of who he is and what he's going to accomplish, saying, yes, I'm the Messiah, you got that part, but I'm also going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. So I've been thinking um, about kind of this segment, and I've kind of come to this thought or this conclusion, and I think this is accurate um, and important for us as, as Christians and important for our church, that without preaching, in all the senses of the word preaching, without preaching the death and the resurrection of Jesus, as a, as a part of our message, as a central part. If we reject that part, then our message is satanic. And so, we've talked before about how there's so many ways that we like to talk about Jesus and his message. Like we think, man, Jesus is great, he's so nice, and he's loving, and he cares for us, which are all true, there's, he's so good. Hey, we're, I'm, I'm good with him. Everything's good. Like this is the message we. I love to live for the Lord. Like you, you might say some of these things, no problem. But there's like other religious people and philosophers who also are going to say, yes, Jesus, he was a good man, and he he spoke truth, and he was an example of holiness or righteousness. Like there's there's plenty of people that would say that, but some think, and and sometimes I think that, hey, there's this side of Jesus that I feel like I can communicate comfortably. And sometimes I think, well, maybe it's a little cheesy or it's a little too far, or it's a little old school or a little gruesome or a little um, uncomfortable to talk about Jesus and his work and the death and the resurrection of him. And, and I don't think that, maybe rightly so, but it doesn't certainly come up in conversation quite as often as some other things I talk about Jesus about. And I just want to say one more time, if we refuse to acknowledge this key element of the gospel of Jesus's death and resurrection, then our presentation of the gospel is no less than satanic. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that, not the satanic part. I'm not talking, oh, that means that you're, you're in some weird uh, gathering that you go to where you worship Satan or, you know, but it's, it's, it's completely against God. Like, that's the central point of what Jesus is um, here to accomplish. And so, um, I would just want to ask this question, something to consider, maybe um, you guys have some thoughts on it, but what, what does your presentation of who Jesus is, as you talk to other people, as you talk to each other as believers, as you talk to people who don't believe, uh, what is that what does that sound like? Like, is it a lot of Jesus? I believe he's God. He's great. You got to know this guy. Um, does your message at some point, at some time, when you're in a, re a relationship with this person, at some point, do you communicate and get to the critical information that may seem kind of strange and a little over the top and a little bit edgy? 
about the death and resurrection of Jesus. So just like think about your conversations. When spiritual conversation about him come up with people that you know, um, non-Christians specifically, but even with Christians, like where are you guys at with that? Do you feel like, man, I stopped short with the gospel. Maybe here's the, with, with the death and resurrection. Is that something that's kind of hard to get to? Do you think, oh, I want to make sure that I develop the relationship enough to Split, to declare that portion, that critical piece of information to them? Uh, what have you seen in other people's lives? Are we generally not wanting to kind of broach that subject? Or is that something that we're doing well? Like, what are, what are your thoughts on that? I've asked about 10 questions. You can respond to any of them. <laughs> this is, uh, I responded to this question just yesterday. Somebody uh, found us through uh, Livingstone. And she just bluntly asked, um, who, do you, who do you believe Jesus is? Mm. <laughs> nice. And then um, or she said, uh, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? And I said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it's so funny that this happened yesterday. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, he's in that op- opportunity. You had to say, yes, he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. Um, last week I missed... Um, this because I was caught up in conversation with a good friend um, and we uh, I've shared about her a couple times but her parents, her mother's her parents both were Christian and she's turned off by the church um, and I remember we were riding in the car uh, a while ago and she, we were talking about Jesus I don't remember it wasn't really spiritual but uh, he came up in normal conversation and um, she said Jesus is the anarchist and I'm like anarchist I, I couldn't remember like the basic definition of anarchist off the top of my head. I'm like, what did she just call Jesus? <laughs> um, and then I knew, like, I, I thought about it. I'm like, well, yeah, he is the supreme authority. He doesn't have to answer to people. Um, and in her defense, I mean, she was actually not really praising him in the sense of anarchists, but technically he is. Um, and so we talked talk last week, and I remember leaving the conversation. We talked about Christ. We talked about tons of things. Um, and I remember talking about it, but never actually talking about the gospel so much. Um, and by gospel, you're like being specifically. Death and resurrection. Um, and I, in my, pretty much in my points, I never got to why he was really important in whatever cases we talked about. We talked about things from the cervix to Kim Davis and the Pope and it was a whole bunch of it was everything yeah. everything everything to so like Christ like my defense on certain things is based on biblical principles so yeah. it, he kept coming up um and so like I do uh, my point was that I haven't stated like why he's important and why all of why I keep coming back to him essentially um, I kind of gloss over that, or you just um, not necessarily don't think it's important, but don't um, can't articulate its importance in the topics of conversation. Yeah, yeah. And you guys understand, like I'm not saying every time Jesus comes up, you have to say, "Well, you know that he died, and three days later he's right." You know, <laughs> like maybe that's <laughs> that's that's not what I'm saying at all. But but yeah, it's like. Um, I know with a, a number of my friends here in North Hollywood, it's like we'll have conversations about Christ, and with some we talk about that, but it's, it's at least personally for me, it's so much easier just to kind of talk about not, not the forgiveness of sin that's needed, but just how good living for Christ is and how he brings peace and comfort, which all of those things really are coming from his, his what he accomplished in making us right with him, but um, so I guess I'm, I'm asking, like, does it do we avoid that portion of the gospel, or um, like I think I have, or um, is that at least something that you know? Hey, eventually I'd like to get here to this, to where I can tell them the true. Importance that hey, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, or you know, this kind of critical component. Any other thoughts or um, confusion or clarity? 
I just never have been able to divorce that from the, talking about the gospel. Mm -hmm. You know, it's part of it. It always has been to me. Like, yeah, talking yeah. about the death of Christ on behalf of us. And, yeah. So it's uh, if if the gospel comes up, it's part of it. It's, yeah. yeah. You know, I think you can get caught in a trap when you start saying Jesus is a good teacher or he's was a good man to emulate, you know. Yeah. It, it just gets into a trap where you you miss the, his deity and you miss his um, his sacrifice, his mm -hmm. perfect sacrifice for mm -hmm. sin. So it it's hard for me to if I do talk about Christ, not to not to talk about that aspect of the gospel yeah. or that to me that is the gospel. So it's yeah, like, that's good. I think mm -hmm. that it, it should be the case. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it balloons out from there, and it has, because Christ died for me, there's there's multiple effects of that that I experience and get to enjoy and will enjoy. Um, but yeah, it's 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 the critical, I mean, it's the gospel, like you were saying. It's, um, I and there's, also add yeah. that, um, I also go in, this just could be the enemy, thinking they know the gospel we're gonna mm, yeah you know i don't yeah, have to say too. jesus died like you've read it you've heard it yeah and so i tend to talk about other things yeah. related or the effects of it because i'm assuming they've heard it before yeah um, especially with non-christians in this area or where i live so yeah. that's also another i think yeah um a strategy of the enemy just assuming they know and never actually say yeah. it out loud yeah, no, that's true. I didn't think of that. I, I mean, even me living in the South for a while, especially, I think, well, everybody here in church, they've heard about Jesus and they've seen a cross on the wall. Or, you know, they, um, yeah. So, Peter's suggestion to Jesus, hey, Lord, would you never die, is 100% against Jesus' purpose. So, I, and I think that's why part of the reason Jesus says in verse 23, you're setting your minds on the things of man not the things of God. And he has so much more to teach Peter about his plan and the other disciples and about his kingdom. So uh, let's read on. Verse 24, which there's not really, there's probably breaks in your Bible between verse 23 and 24 and then again at the beginning of chapter 17. I, those are just kind of translators saying, hey, this kind of looks where a good paragraph would be or a good new section starts, but that's not really the case. It's we, Those are just hopefully helpful breaks for us. But let's just see it as a kind of a complete continuing story. Um, so he says in verse 24, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done, or according to his practice. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So again, to kind of go from the previous verse into verse 24, it seems as though Jesus is saying, hey, here's what said, here's one thing that setting your mind on the things of God would look like. It would look like following after me and taking up your cross. Now, <clears throat> to somebody in the first century, Israel under Roman control, like taking up your cross meant one thing like heading to literal death. So we've kind of, maybe if you're like me, I, I kind of make that a metaphor for other things. But to the, the people that Jesus is initially saying this to, they're thinking of crucifixion and you're, you're, you're carrying your cross off to um, your death. You're basically, you're giving in to your death because they're, you're carrying the cross. So, um, Jesus says, in this whole explanation of, hey, I'm also going to die, but then he's saying, hey, I'm calling you guys to follow me there. Now, I'll ask you guys, is Jesus, like, really suggesting here to his disciples 
literally that he, he's suggesting that they literally follow him um, to death, even like literal death. You're saying that? I think so. And many of these guys, if not most of these guys he's talking to, did go to death for for the sake of Christ and, and their witness and their faith. So would Jesus really suggest that we, his disciples, would really, like literally, follow him to death? To, like literal, maybe not literally take up a cross, but literally physically even die to follow him. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes I think we as good life preservers would say, well, God wouldn't ask me to die for my faith. Like, God forbid um, that that would happen. He would never allow that. But he did allow that to happen, and he does allow that to happen. Uh, we talked a little bit on Sunday night. Randy brought up this uh, story from the uh, shooting in Oregon, and we were just kind of pondering, hey, would, would, would I be willing to die for my faith? And I think, like I used to as a Christian 20 years ago in this country, I used to think, well, that, that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore, or at least it doesn't happen here in the United States. And, and so I would totally take this verse and say, well, I, I take up my cross, and I'd come up with all sorts of things that take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, what that means. And I'd, I'd make it a metaphor for all sorts of things um, kind of in life. Um, but now, I would say more and more we're seeing, we don't have the same, like, pressure release valve that we used to have like well that's probably not really going to happen like that you know that's um we we come up with all sorts of disclaimers well jesus isn't really gonna he's not saying you have to die but you you know you have to maybe give up or eat something or you have to suffer or you have to do this or that um and i don't know if if god will literally um use us in our deaths to proclaim faith in jesus I've actually said before, and I don't think I'll say again, God forbid that would happen to any of us because I think it, that was kind of rebuked that, that that would happen to Jesus or anybody. God might call us into that. Um, but as we're kind of like considering that question that Randy brought up on Sunday night, um, before we're too quick to answer, well, I wonder if I would if I would actually be willing to, like, if somebody was going to kill me and ask me if I'm a Christian and if I answered affirmatively that they kill me. Um, before we do that, I'd ask you, like, what are some examples that you've thought of um, that, that you've understood besides death, take up your cross to me? Like, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Like, what, what are some, some maybe less significant examples than death that you've heard in Sunday school, or, and I'm not saying these are wrong answers, but it's like, just what has that meant to you? What what might it look like for in your own life for you to take up your cross and, and to follow Jesus? Like, just what are some examples of that? Habits. Like, give up certain yeah, habits? Habits, or? like things that you're sinning, continuing to sin. Yeah. Yeah. I used to think about that verse a lot. Yeah. So it's, it would be like giving up something that you desire for the sake of Christ. It's kind of, okay, yeah. What what else has, have you guys understood that to mean? Maybe simple things. No. For me, it's the small things, my, the gentleness that, that doesn't come from me because I'm not, I don't speak kind words and gentleness and and having the responses and and it says you know you're gonna would you give up your soul and gain the whole world that's that's a day-to-day interaction of what am i choosing today yeah. am i choosing christ or am i choosing my fleshly desires and gain yeah. so it's and knowing that when those good things do come out of me <laughs> They're probably not for me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so seeking. Yeah. Service. <laughs> Serving others. Uh, okay. In general. Selflessness. Yeah. Right? Denying yourself and. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I like visceral response. Like, yeah. It's just a service. Yeah, serving other people. 
I think of it like, um, like sometimes like giving up the things that you that you thought you had your identity in. Mm-hmm. Like so, so almost like because like I know when I when I was like going through my process of like becoming a Christian, like the, a lot of the things that I that I like held on to so strongly and was like this makes me who I am mm-hmm. I had to let that go and like find my identity in Christ and mm-hmm. just and like that's where my identity is and and with a lot of people when I like want them to know Jesus like I see some people where it's like that's going to be a big struggle mm-hmm. because they have their identity in their sin you yep. know or their identity in worldly things and not not in Christ like giving up your identity but finding it in Christ yeah so being willing to put those desires to death Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the key words is that desires because it's not this translation but another one says whoever desires to come after me Mm -hmm. let him him deny himself and there's this there's a sense of a lot of people that they have their desires and have their things they want to go after. Yeah. And they want along with that the assurance of Christ and salvation. And it doesn't fit, you know, it's kind of like tacked on to their to their already existing desires. Yeah. And I think that that's what he means. Like coming after me means leaving yourself at home, you know, leaving your desires behind. And that's kind of what, what it's, says to me that yeah. denying yourself is everything about your life that matters yeah. can't can't matter anymore for coming out of Christ yeah and that's that's the battle yeah so like these things that you guys are, are mentioning these different desires and um, or, or things that you don't want to do maybe that God would call you to um, I think all of these Certainly are included in this um, in this teaching to deny yourself to the cross of all Jesus. Um, so I just say, like before we answer, hey, are you willing to literally give up your life, like, the most dear thing that we have, to follow Jesus? I would just say, how are we doing in the like figurative metaphor stuff first, mm-hmm. and have that help us to answer that other question? Because if we're not willing to take up our cross by not gossiping or by giving up some of our money to pour whatever in these in these smaller less significant things are we really going to give give up our lives for the sake of Christ and obviously like there I think there's there's a story I don't know the validity of it but of the girl that that uh, in Oregon is who was a Christian but she didn't end up um, revealing that and you know she may have been a believer and had a moment of, of, of weak faith or whatever you know who knows but um, just like in all of these different things that we've expressed, sometimes, man, by the power of God's Spirit, where we accomplish them well, and other times we fail in them. But uh, I think that can give us a, a little bit of insight, uh, just our, our day-to-day, what take up our cross even figuratively means for us, um, to our answer of would, would we literally be willing to do that? Just something interesting to ponder. But um, so... Let's talk about this. Like I, I asked you guys, like verbally, when it comes to uh, declaring the gospel, like is is the death and resurrection of, of Christ a, a key component of that that you try to include? And it was, it was yes and no, and, and somewhere in there. Um, how about your following of Jesus? Like, what does that look like? Is it's do you is your life, or maybe the life of other believers around you, like it, does it seem as if we're trying to like squeeze all of the good and comfort and our desires and longevity and health and everything we possibly can out of this life, or is our life showing that hey, our our number one goal isn't to preserve our life, but God may call us to give it up for uh, His own sake. So. Um, or how can we better live out this command? Even if we aren't asked literally to die, which we may be, but if we're not, like, how, how can we be faithful in displaying the gospel and the importance of the gospel in our life uh, by living out this command, by denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following me? Wouldn't it be in all of these different things 
that you all are saying, that we would be faithful with these little things, that we would obviously be dependent on the Lord in prayer and seeking Him, that we would do these, um, these lesser things well, that our lives would then be a display of the gospel, that people would see, oh man, their, their number one thing isn't themselves and trying to have as long and healthy and, and uh, comfortable life as they possibly can have, but there's something even more important to them than that. They're willing even to give up their life um, for the sake of, of, of Jesus and what he calls us to. Um, before we move on, um, is there any confusion or clarity um, to what we've talked about so far? Did we end up reading? Um, yes, we did read it. Actually, I'm going to ask that question in just a second because there's some confusing things said here in just a second. Um, I'll hold your question if you have one. Jesus mentions here, and in chapter 5, and in chapter 10, that he kind of tells the disciples, hey, y'all, you're going to experience some significant persecution, even death. And the thing, one thing of many that I love about Jesus that I think is astounding about his leadership is that he's not asking his disciples to be soldiers for him and stick up for him to preserve his life. He's actually telling his disciples to follow his example even to their possible death. So like Peter is really valiant, I think, in what he says here. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, in a few chapters, we're going to see like Peter stands up for Jesus and he's willing like to go to battle for Jesus but instead, Jesus isn't saying, yeah, stick up for me so that you can keep me alive, as if that's the most important thing. But he's saying, no, I'm going to set an example now of how to die. Like, I just love that about Jesus' leadership. It's not even, even, even what he could ask for from us. He, he instead humbles himself, and he provides, among other things, he provides an example for us in his death. And he, he calls us to, to follow him into something that he's, that he's actually done or doing himself. Now, all of like this talk about death and stuff, and you might think, well, gosh, we call the gospel like gospel means good news, right? Like this is this is supposed to be a good thing, and here we're sitting here talking about well, death, and you're gonna have to give things up, and you're gonna have to deny yourself, and all this. So, how is this good news? And I think Jesus goes on in these verses to say it's good news because life preservation isn't the most important thing. There's something called eternity that we have to consider. So if you look at like verse 24, where it says, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then the next three verses start with the word for. It's the same Greek word, gar. For this, for that, and for that. Here's here's why, or here's what happens when you do that. So first of all, like why take up your cross and follow me? Verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So why take up your cross and follow me? Because if you give up your life now, figuratively or literally, you're going to find life for all of eternity. Or conversely, if you're only about preserving your life now, you're going to lose it for eternity. And then the next verse, why, why else? Well, like, what's the result of taking up your cross and following me? Like, what's the good news in that? Verse 26, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So what's the good, why take up your cross and follow Jesus? Because what value is there into holding on to your life now and getting all you can out of your life now and YOLO um, only to give it up forever? It's like this. This is a. It's a temporal, stupid, um, uh, Illuminati kind of <laughs> transaction that's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Like that. You're going to get a hundred dollars right now, but you're giving up a hundred trillion dollars that you could have for eternity. Well, that, that doesn't. So it's it's good news that we would that we would take up our cross and follow him. Thirdly, four in verse 27, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Why is it good to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Not just, it is because he says to do so, but because he is going to return in glory and he's going to reward, and he's going to judge. If you want to hear 
some on reward. Randy talked about that in chapter six, probably in May or June. You can look back over some of that. But so does it make sense then, like that there's good news and deny yourself, like to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Like, yeah, I think um, I like what uh, commentator Blomberg says. He says the logic of Jesus's command, like this, take up your cross kind of stuff depends wholly on the existence of life beyond the grave, which will make the joys and sorrows of this life pale into insignificance in comparison. So yes, it's like, it's ridiculously good news because we believe in eternity and eternal life for those who believe. But again, so this is, it's a difficult, such a difficult thing for the disciples, especially these early disciples. It's this difficult for them to grasp on. They they haven't even seen or understood this this resurrection from the dead. Like we get the privilege of, wow, we can read the story and we, we know and understand and believe this. Um, so I think it's important, and I think this is why uh, in all three of the the synoptic gospel accounts, there's they're all ordered exactly the same in this sequence of events. You know, there's some like some of them aren't quite so chronological, but in this. This conversation between Jesus and the disciples always leads right into um, chapter 17, which we call the transfiguration. It's, um, and, and there's even, I think in all three of them, there's even this like time frame. And after six days, it says here in Matthew, and it says something similar in Mark and Luke. Like this is, these are connected events. Usually in Matthew, especially, we don't see this like specific of a timeline, but he's saying shortly after this, this happened. These events happened. And so, um, I believe that what what happens in this event that I've misunderstood for years and just been like, well, what what in the world is the significance of this, and why like why does this just happen all of a sudden? Um, I think it's very specifically placed and very specifically occurred because of the the grace of of Jesus and God the Father and wanting to reveal something to people who are going to be struggling with the information that they were getting about who what Jesus was going to do in his death and his resurrection. And so I, I think it's kind of, um, it's it's not what I used to think where, like if you're familiar, we'll read it here in a second, like, oh, Jesus all of a sudden just starts glowing and um, and then he stops glowing and then he says, don't tell anybody what happens and they kind of walk away. And it's like, well, what what does that have to do with anything? But I think it's it, it's Jesus in his grace I'll explain a little bit more, but he, he said, yes, I'm the Messiah, but I'm going to die. And yes, I'm calling you to follow me, but I'm going to return in glory, and I'm going to bring rewards. So I believe what he's doing here partially is saying, I'm going to give you a glimpse of what that glory is. And so, again, there's not really a break between chapter 16 and 17 like our, our translations have here. So it just goes on, and starting in verse 28, it says, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, like this is a, a super difficult verse. Um, there's good guys that, that make sense of this in different ways. Um, but just to the best of my knowledge, and this is kind of as I've studied through what, what seems to make some sense, um, seeing the Son of Man coming in his kingdom We've talked a lot about kingdom here. Um, kingdom doesn't always mean reign. It, it can mean just like kingly splendor. Um, and so, truly I say to you, there's some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I believe he's saying that to these disciples because they're about to experience something. Um, so we'll read on. Uh, Beginning of 17, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured or transformed from like one, um, one form. His appearance changed from one thing to another. He was transfigured before them. And here's what it looked like. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah both guys that lived hundreds and hundreds of years before, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. 
He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Yeah. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Verse 9, And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood he was speaking to them of John the Baptist regarding Elijah. Um, so why, why does this event happen, I guess, is, is the question. Because we can kind of understand some of just the nuts and bolts of what happened. It's kind of, I think Matthew does a good job of explaining what happened. Um, I think that this is a gracious confirmation of, of the Lord to these three guys that yes, I am the Messiah. Even though I'm headed to my death, which is would have been unexpected in their book, and even though I, I have the right to reign from the, the throne of David, um, I am the Messiah, and this transfiguration or transforming of Jesus, I think, foreshadows Jesus coming in glory, which he speaks of, about back in chapter 16, verse 27, when he comes in the, with the angels to, um, to repay each person according to what he's done. And then we see this repeating of God the Father, what we already saw in chapter 3, verse 17, when Jesus, remember, was um, baptized. And God says, this is my son with whom I'm what It's pretty much the exact same words, except he adds on to it. Listen to him here. Remember 3.17, this was like the beginning of Jesus' ministry when Jesus is starting to show his power and that he, he, he has authority and that he is the Messiah. And now 17, verse 5, this is and in this section that we're looking at today, this is Jesus saying, yes, I, I'm still the Messiah, but I'm the Messiah that has come as, a, as the suffering servant. And so D.A. Carson says this is clearly a major turning point in Jesus' self-disclosure. So he's showing these disciples who he is, and he's giving special help, I think, to these three guys so that they would see some of of Jesus in all of his glory, which they can anticipate then at a later time. I think that's what he's talking about in verse 28. Some standing here won't taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his in his kingdom or in his in his full kingliness. That's that's what he's showing them in this transfiguration. Um, another thing, like what what are we talking about with Moses and Elijah? Like why is it these couple of guys? Um, a lot of different kind of thoughts on that. Um, but I think bottom line, Moses and Elijah kind of are representatives of the whole Hebrew scriptures, the, the law and the prophets, they, they call the Old Testament, right? The law, which was given through Moses and the prophets, of which Elijah was one of the significant prophets. Um, both who, by the way, interacted with God up on a mountain. And another thing that, that we don't maybe gather unless you know some of the context the Jews were expecting that Elijah would come back on the scene like the prophet Malachi said before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and so um, so Peter's like hey let me make you a place to stay and probably they're probably thinking hey you know this is going to be some precursor to the great and awesome day of the Lord um, and then Jesus just goes on to tell them, hey, Elijah, he, he, he will come, but he has come in John the Baptist. We read about that some in chapter 11 as well. John the Baptist is kind of this, um, see the type or anti-type of Elijah? I always get those confused, which it is. But um, Jesus is saying, yes, he did come, and um, that, was, that was John the Baptist. So the bottom line in all this, and without um, going on anymore, Jesus is giving Peter and James and John confidence 
that Jesus' suffering is preceding this glory that he will have. And he's giving them a foreshadow of his glorified self who will come with the angels and the glory of the Father. So it's suffering first and then glory. And if these things are true of Jesus, he's calling the disciples to something similar. They're going to suffer first and then will come, well, resurrection from the dead like it came for Jesus and then also will come their glorification. So check this out. Peter, James, and John, because of what they saw, this is like to tie this into the story of even us today. Because of what these guys saw in this transfiguration, and because of what they saw in Jesus' life and later in his resurrection, they would be so confident in Jesus' promises that they would literally give their lives to proclaim it. So um, remember, Jesus says at the end of this section that we read, tell no one what you saw until I'm raised from the dead. And But when he did, these three witnesses begin to tell people then what they saw. And then the 12 disciples, they begin to tell people and they begin to spread the word. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and Peter all start to to write and record and begin to spread the word. And now it's been passed around to much of the world about who Jesus is, often at the cost of the life of people who believe Jesus when he says, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. So we have a call to to suffering and death, and Jesus led us in that by example. We have a promise of resurrection, and Jesus proved that by his example. We have a promise of future glory, just like Jesus has shown to these guys, and later they would proclaim uh, to others as well. Any um, questions on that, and then we'll wrap up. What time? Can somebody tell me what time? Okay. I just think of it, he's kind of like, you know, um, when he tells them in, in these those four verses, when start with four, F-O-R, mm-hmm. in verse yeah. uh, 25, 26, and 27, there's this, there's this, there's this like stepping up, he's stepping up the whole thing. Mm-hmm. First it's like, don't be concerned about your physical life. Mm-hmm. Then it says like, be concerned about your eternal soul. Mm-hmm. And then he, then there's like a third reason is like, and then there's this thing, I'm going to reward you at the time uh, when I come to give the rewards. Yeah. And so like, it's a lot to take in. Yeah. It's even embraced as a belief. Yeah. You know, just first he's saying, I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to die and be killed. Don't worry. All these things are going to happen. Yeah. Trust me. Follow me. And then he says, okay, I'm going to give you a glimpse of the glory so that you can believe those three things about, yeah, right. about giving, giving up your life and being concerned about your soul. Yeah. And about rewards, yeah. so I just think that he gives that just kind of as a little bit of a, so that they could, you know, it'd be maybe hard for them to accept all that in one, in one bite without having seen his glory and yeah. being right. convinced of that. Yeah, because then it's downhill into you know being crucified after that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's good. <clears throat> They should write a song about taking up their cross and following Jesus. You want to do that, Andrea? Yeah, this like this little section here. Of course, we could. I mean, there's so much that could be said and pondered in our own lives about these verses. Um, the cool thing is, I think not only did Jesus like pave the way in these things, and in some sense we kind of follow Jesus' same track. We suffer with him, we be glorified. Um, but we get to do this together. Like this is uh, as as a church, as God's people, this is something that we get to move forward to together. And so I was thinking of our our mission statement as a church, which is just this: Noho Church is a fellowship of Christians who display and declare the love and truth of Jesus Christ. And to the, the love and truth of Jesus Christ, like that could be summarized in Christian terms as the gospel, I would say. Um, so we're going to display and declare the gospel. And I think the passage today kind of addresses both of those things. We've said that part of a, the critical component in our declaration of the gospel that we best not, best not, better not forget 
is the death and resurrection of Jesus, because what is the what is the gospel, the love and truth of, of Jesus without that? And our lives, the display of the gospel, better accurately or ought to accurately display um, that that this life isn't all that there is. Or you could say, hey, we're displaying and declaring together the wrong message if we leave out the death and resurrection of Christ and if we live as though preserving this life is our most important thing, which people can see as you spend time with them, if it is or not. So I want to um, ask you all just kind of as a, as a follow-up to this and um, something to consider tonight even, is to pay attention in your own life as you all are... Are, are displaying with your life and declaring some, some truths about Jesus. You understand what I'm saying when, when our, our lives even display something about who God is as believers. Um, as those opportunities come up to, to tell and show who Jesus is, just like take, take a little evaluation over the next weeks. Do your conversations leave out some really critical components of like where we actually have forgiveness of sins and life and, and Jesus' death and resurrection. Like just that as you find yourself talking about Christ, hopefully to one another and to other people who maybe don't know Christ, like just just kind of evaluate that. Is that something that's actually on in my mouth or is that somewhere where I'm, I'm actually trying to take a, a conversation, you know, in, in God's timing um, but that people would know this this most important truth, and then ask yourself: Does does my life show other people that I'm just I'm clinging to this, and I'm just trying to do everything I can to keep on living and to just have a good life here? Or is my life showing that hey, there's I, I'm willing to give up whatever it takes to follow Jesus because I believe there's something much greater to come? So just to to take a like, as you're expressing the gospel in your life, just. Just take an evaluation of yourself and see, are, are these things true of me? And I'm going to give you a reminder by Facebook, and I want to talk a little bit about Sunday night, um, for those of you that are there, just even in a little bit more detail. Like, how, how are we doing about these things? Are we being declares of God's truth and, and specifically about the gospel and his death and resurrection? And is our, is our life accurately displaying a, a life that is denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him? So we'll talk about that then. I want to ask you that tonight, before you talk about other things, um, to either write something down or tell someone something that you, um, just some of your initial evaluation on these things. Um, Do your conversations often bring up the death and resurrection of Christ? Or is that something that you conveniently leave out and you'd like to grow in that area? Um, or, man, how, what in your life maybe you have been convicted of? This needs to change because I'm clinging on to this thing instead of being willing to just forsake everything in my pursuit of Christ. So, like, either write something down or type something down so that you can follow up and, and share that with somebody or share that on Sunday night. Um, or... Don't get into conversation tonight until you like just express a little bit of that, even if it takes 20 seconds to to somebody here. Like this is this is an area that I need to I want to grow in. Um, so think about that, and let me pray. Father, thank you um, for giving us. Oh, there's so much that that Jesus um, accomplished here on his, his life on this earth. Um, and I don't, I don't want to um, forget ultimately what he was doing in making it possible for us to be right with you, God. Um, but I'm also thankful that really Jesus doesn't call me into something that I can't look to his own life that he has demonstrated for me, specifically in, in suffering and persecution. We're going to see more and more of that, I know, as we um, finish out this book. But um, God, thank you for giving us uh, such a humble uh, servant to follow. 
and we thank you for what that um, accomplishes on our behalf. Um, I pray, God, that you would uh, bring to our mind things that uh, we need to change in our life that are communicating uh, inaccurately uh, about really the, the truths that we have something so much greater after this life. There's so much longer to live. There's so much uh, reward to be had. There's so much joy to be found in you and eternal life that why would we why would we focus our efforts on making that as extended and wonderful as possible uh, here on this earth? May we just live our lives in right priority and show us how to live in that right priority. Mm -hmm. Certainly not seeking suffering and persecution, but expecting that it will happen and not, not running the other way, but uh, choosing to, to be like Christ in those things and um, looking forward to his return and his reward and his love and his um, eternal home and joy for us. So thank you, Lord, for your word. Um, would you help us to follow? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.